Welcome back, everyone, to Web3 Unpacked. I'm Rich Pasqua, and joining us today is Ali Madravgi, managing partner of Blockchain Founders Fund, whose goal is to empower entrepreneurs of promising blockchain and emerging technology projects with the resources they need to make their vision a reality. Welcome, Ali. Thanks so much, Rich, for having me on the show. Excited to be here. Yeah, yeah. And um, we're excited to have you because you have a really interesting background that I think I know, actually, our audience is really going to enjoy and get a lot out of for this episode. Um, you know, some of the highlights for you, Ali, is, you know, an interesting background in, in blockchain and in academia. Um, you're an entrepreneur, uh, blockchain and Web3 investor. You're an award-winning author, which is pretty cool. Um, you're a consultant to the UN, a, a Schwartzman scholar and senior blockchain fellow. That's a lot. Uh, and I want to, you know, maybe afterwards I can tell you, you know, ask you about time management, but um, that's impressive. And, um, you know, when we jump in, uh, before we get really into the mechanics of the fund, I want to I I want to ask you how you started your Web three journey. It's always interesting for us to to learn. Yeah, no, it's a it's a it's a great question. Um, you know, and and thanks for sort of the kind the kind intro. You know, blockchain I think is is like the the bigger part I think is it's always been at the core fundamental sort of way that I've approached things, right? And you know, at the end of the day, I look at this as a technology that's you know, out there building a more fair, more transparent world for everyone. And, you know, there's a lot of problems in this world, right? And so when you look at even the way growing up and why I sort of had a very quick affinity to this space, I mean, both of my parents are refugees uh, from East Africa. And, you know, that's sort of the cards and, and, and what they got dealt, right? And of course, they were, you know, lucky to, to be able to, you know, find refuge in Canada, right? And, but from a, a very young age, it was, you know, how do we sort of find these ways to create level playing fields to, you know, make things more fair, more transparent. Um, and that sort of led to a number of things over my career. And so you mentioned, um, you know, I used to write quite a bit in my free time, published three books, two of them made it to number one on Amazon in the education category. And, you know, that was also about how do you build a more, fair, a more sort of transparent, like level playing field across the board, right? And give more people an opportunity to succeed and sort of achieve different things. And so, you know, that already kicked off a very strong uh, affinity to the space. And then I ended up actually going down the rabbit hole quite early, but after a few years decided to move full time into the space. And so in uh, in basically 2016, 17, ended up moving full time into the space, started an exchange at the time. Um, and we ended up exiting that at the end of 17. And we decided to set up Blockchain Founders Fund. Fast forward, it's now been, you know, six years going on on seven there. And we've got over 110 portfolio companies. We've invested in tons of companies all across the space, wow. touching like, everything from infrastructure to dev tooling to DeFi and, you know, even aspects of like gaming and AI, you know, very early on that blend into the space. And so all sorts of really, really cool things uh, across the industry. 
Fantastic. And yeah, I, I had a look at your, your roster, your portfolio, impressive, and it's very diverse, which is really, really smart in this space because there's so many pockets or industries that are bubbling up and doing quite well. So, and I, I really, um, it's very interesting because your story is slightly different than, than a lot of uh, the founders we've had on uh, the show before in the sense that your parents were refugees, right? And your interest in Web3 and blockchain is the idea of, you know, truly democratizing the playing field, which is one of the top reasons I'm in it as well. You know, earning money as an investor or, you know, dabbling in a project or working on your own projects is one thing, but really showing the real world uh, implications of this technology, this cryptography, uh, is pretty profound. Um, and I always say that, you know, uh, blockchain is like blockchain technology and this whole industry that's bubbling up right now before our eyes is like the mobile industry years ago. Um, it didn't really start in the United States. It didn't even take off until it really had foundations in you know developing nations because they needed it and they needed the infrastructure or they didn't have the infrastructure and it was blockchain to me is the very same similar thing except it flattens the playing field so really great uh intro to yourself your family and how you got into this uh quite amazing now let's can you ali because your fund is really interesting and like i mentioned before it's very diverse can you give us a background of, of of what it's about and who you're working with and kind of the, the fundamentals of it? Yeah, absolutely. So we started the fund uh, back in, in 2017 and um, you know, there's, there's a, there, there's a few sort of key things, right? We, we see ourselves. So myself, uh, my partner, Toby as well, there's sort of three partners on the fund you know, we see ourselves as builders more so than investors. And it's a very different flavor, you know, when mm. we're sort of on your cap table. And so we want to be, you know, that first place that founders think of when they're like, hey, I need help or some issue happened. We want them to call us and we help them solve it, right? Like we're not there to scold them on stuff. We're there to be like, let's roll up our sleeves with you, figure out how to solve this and move forward and build a better, faster, stronger company together. And I think that's been very valuable and, and apparent. And so from the early days, we worked with founders, um, you know, and, you know, we've continued to build on that. And so one of the really cool things is that most of our companies will tell you that we're by far their most involved investor. I mean, we work with, uh, you know, some pretty intense processes that we've built over the years on how to scale startups effectively. Um, you know, for example, when we go through our fundraising process with startups, we've got a 90 point fundraising process that we go through to actually help get our companies up to a world-class standard, right? I mean, we've spent, for example, uh, we went through a thousand different startup uh, investor and advisor updates and basically built our own template, taking the best practices from all of those. We spent three weeks thinking about data rooms and honestly, nobody should spend three weeks thinking about data rooms. And we went and figured out how do you go perfect this so that it decreases drop-off rates you know, for startups when they're trying to close investors. And most startups will tell you and founders will know this, you know, they talk to these investors, they're really excited. And then you see 70, 80% of them drop off after that call, they share some info and it drops off and they end up not investing. 
And so it's like, how do you go decrease that, make better use of your time, close rounds quicker, focus on building incredible products, and then, you know, go do it again and then scale more, right? And so these are the areas where we like to get really involved and work with our startups, the very different philosophy to what you see in the space uh, from mm. a lot of investors. And then, you know, we back that up with larger and larger checks. So we just raised a, a new $75 million fund last year. We became one of the first Singapore regulated Web3 funds. And we go right, you know, early checks, typically it's about 200K into a company. And then we write large and large, larger follow-ons. So we write follow-ons up to 5 million in companies and we, you know, write follow-ons as quick as 60 to 90 days into companies. So we like to, to basically get under the hood, work with startups, then go drive growth. And if we can see things moving in the right direction, we continue to help those companies be funded and bring in other, you know, great investors across the space. That's great. Yeah. And we're going to, I have a, a bunch of questions regarding investment and attracting invest, investment later on for you. Um, but I really like your approach and your language uh, as far as your builders, right? You're not just, you know, airdropping money to a company. You're invested in it. So your intellect and your, your personal IP and your partner's IP is extremely important to them. Uh, and it's funny, we were, we were talking before we even got on here and you were connecting me to like two or three people immediately. So, uh, you know, that is a big deal, right? So there are, this is a new thing. This, we're in our infancy here. Um, and certain teams and projects need help from other teams and projects. So connecting like people is, is really important. Uh, and I think that's really interesting in a, in a fresh approach to things. So that's great. Um, now, we talked about your portfolio a little bit as far as being fairly diverse, uh, I would say. Um, do you see, um, do you guys yourselves focus in on specific industries or do you see specific industries bubbling up a little bit more than others, perhaps? Yeah, so so we actually probably also look at this in a different way. I think what happens oftentimes, um, you know, in the investment landscape or even like in an emerging industry such as this is like something gets hot and then everybody tries to invest in it, right? And, mm -hmm. and we don't think of it like that, right? So right now, uh, I'll give you an example. We've got 25 open subthesis right now where we think there's major problems in the Web3 space and no market leader or an opportunity for a beachhead to sort of create a new sort of emerging player in that space. And so we then go out and we look for companies that cover these different areas. And that allows us to like understand what the problems are and then actually try to figure out who's fixing them and like, can we find the right startups that we'd wanna basically be part of and, and help back and, and help drive forward. And that approach has been, has been very effective. And I think oftentimes though, it's also led to, to criticisms, right? Which is, which is interesting because like we're not necessarily going into what's sexy today, right? When we started investing in blockchain and gaming, I'll tell you, it was, it was the start of 18. Nobody in the world had a thesis on blockchain and gaming. I remember the comments that we were getting. People were like, uh, you know, that's weird. It makes no sense. Why would you own assets in a game? Like these are the questions from some of the leading investors. Some are no longer in the space. Some are right. But like that was the questions from like leading investors that like just didn't get it yet. Right. And for us, we were like, this changes everything. And the same thing happened in 19. We started investing at the intersection of AI and blockchain. And again, everyone's like, 
what, like, how does this make any sense? What are you going to use it for? How does this make sense when you apply AI blockchain and gaming together? And it just didn't make sense for a lot of people, but we were like, this changes everything in gaming. And we became the, one of the first investors in a company called Altered State Machine. Uh, it recently rolled up into Futureverse, which raised 54 million. It was one of the largest raises in the space uh, over the past year. And, you know, we launched the first AI football league with FIFA and all sorts of other things, right? And so there's a lot of things that move the needle, but like it just might not be the popular thing or the the sexy thing when we do it, but it's because we're looking at like, what are the actual problems and what unlocks that growth or allows the space to sort of expand and, and actually achieve what we think uh, is, is the potential in the space. Yeah, you, you, you brought up a lot of great points in there. And the one that really resonates with me, and I think with our audience too, is the idea of not boiling the ocean and, th you know, throwing spaghetti at the walls <laughs> to see what sticks. You're, 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 you're finding the white space. You're examining the pro problems in the space. And as investors and builders, you're getting ahead of it, right? So gaming, De obviously DeFi, there's such a focus there, but you're getting ahead of it and you're solving the problems um, as they're happening. So that's, a, that's, to me, that's a great approach. It's the only approach really. Uh, and I love that. Um, and you're offering quite a bit to your, to your, um, to your partners, um, not just investment. Again, it's, it's much more than that. Um, now I've been in the space for a long time, much like you as an investor and a builder and, a you know, creating prod products that are solving pro problems. One of the greatest problems that I've had and other people have had is where do you find the money? And not only where do you find the money? Uh, obviously, you can go to VCs and people like yourself, but how do you get past that first interview? You mentioned right off the bat that first um, meeting and how do you make it engaging and make it stick? Um, can you can you tell us a little bit about some of the roadblocks you, you, you see founders having when approaching investment? Yeah, like, I, I mean, to be honest, I think money is still like relatively cheap. Sure, the price of, of it has gone up, right? It's mm -hmm. been more difficult as interest rates have gone up, opportunity costs have gone up, et cetera. But I think in reality, there's still a lot of investors in the space. There's a lot of dry powder and everybody's looking for, for deals still, right? And so, um, you know, we look at, just to give you some context, we look at 400 to 600 companies typically every single month, right? And you know, it's pretty clear when, when startups can stand out. And to me, it's less about, and we don't even care, like, for example, like who's in the round, a lot of investors like are waiting for other investors. We don't actually necessarily care. We make our own opinions. We have our own conviction. You know, people are looking at like, you know, uh, I mean, there, there's going to be different things, but like for us, it's like, you know, the biggest thing we can measure as a, as a VC is progress over time. So it's a formula, right? So it's, how much progress are you making in as little time as possible? And if you can show us you're doing the right things and you're building in the right way and you're moving, you know, quite fast that we can start to figure out like, hey, do we think this is going in the right direction? That's great. This doesn't mean it's like post-revenue always, right? In a lot of cases, you'll we'll invest in companies that are pre-revenue or pre-product market fit, but it's like, you know, in a very short time, we've seen them go like, interview 30 customers, like figure out and build the product and like build out all these features and launch to beta. And we're like, Hey, that's crazy fast. Like we we're very impressed with that. 
So if you can already show those things, that's going to get your foot in the door of like getting those meetings, right? And so the first part is not how you perform in the meeting, it's actually getting the meeting because already you're getting filtered out quite a lot mm -hmm. before, before that stage. Um, you know, if you can get and share info, like I think that's already the big thing. I mean, if you go to, I don't know, any of these sites like Crunchbase or others and you look up 50 startups that recently raised fundraising rounds, you'll get an idea of who's investing in the space and who's active right now and who's not. And so you have a list of people to go after. I think it's just having a very clear process, like who am I going to reach out to? You know, what do I actually share with them? How do I communicate my key accomplishments? I find that startups are either really good at um, sharing like, you know, fluff, or they actually have real accomplishments that they're not very good at sharing. And so making sure you're finding that balance of being able to like share you know, your key accomplishment very succinctly is, is important. And there's some cool, like, you know, ways that you can do that. But I think like, even like, how do you simplify your pitch deck? Like make it 12 slides or less, or unless there's some real reason it should be longer than 12 slides, right? Like making it very clear, like longer is not necessarily always better. Uh, in most cases, it's probably worse. Um, and then, you know, reach out, get that sort of first investor meeting with like a quick hook. And then I think from the investor meeting, like for me, it's, it's less about, you know, that really polished pitch. And I think it's about a genuine founder who's going to, you know, who's working hard, who's very passionate about solving this problem and can show us they're doing a lot of the right things. I mean, any day I'm going to care more about what you're doing on the customer front and like building in the right way and like either like building revenue or growth or users or whatever sort of indicators or key metrics you're looking at. It's going to be more important to me than like how polished is your pitch as an example, right? I know that's not the case with every VC, but like for us, we actually want to see that the product and the traction side is, is more effective. And that doesn't always mean like crazy numbers or anything, but like we want to see stuff's moving in the right direction there um, versus say like a very polished pitch. But we've got like our, our maybe differences to other VCs. I think there's some quick little things that startups can do uh, that are really good signals. And I'll, I'll, I'll share a few of those. Like if a startup can show us they're the best at very simple things, like even if it might seem obscure, like say you're a consumer product and you've got the best branding, which I know is something that you specialize in. Like mm -hmm. that to us is a very big deal because we're going to be like, how does a startup already have such incredible branding? Like we need to look more into this because this is pretty impressive already, right? Like stuff that can indicate like, very clear things like a very polished deck, uh, you know, a very clean and organized data room. Like it doesn't sound like a lot, but it already gives us an idea that, you know, you know what you're doing, you know what you're trying to get to, you're very clear on where you're trying to go. And if you're clear in this way, you're probably very clear on, you know, the business front of like what objectives you're trying to get to, how you're going to get there and what time frame, what are the sort of the ways that you're going to get there, et cetera. Um, and, and so like already these little indicators can actually be quite valuable, even if they might not seem that relevant sort of to a lot of people. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, to our audience, listen up. If you're looking for VC, there's some good nuggets here um, to pull, pull away from Ali here. Uh, and, and thank you. This is really good stuff. Valuable tools for, for, for people. And being on both sides of the table, uh, it, myself, um, you know, I 100% agree, uh, you know, in your, the beginning of your statement is, you know, be crisp about your objectives, 
tell the right story in a succinct, simplified manner. Um, to your point, it doesn't need to be, you know, overpacked with too much stuff. That's trying almost a little too hard sometimes. Um, but being succinct and having something that people can take away with and having kind of the sound bites in their head um, as they walk around or move to the next meeting or the next day or a week, that's important. Um, so, and it, that could be its own show onto itself, Ollie, <laughs> right there. Now, can you tell us some of the challenges, like some examples of, of the challenges of building a, a successful startup? A lot of the folks that, that are listening now or watching, they're entrepreneurs, either small, medium, or large, whoever they are, they're trying to jump into this world um, as an entrepreneur, whether you're web two or web three, uh, you know, perhaps tell us how companies fail and when others succeed, you know, what's that, that ratio there? What is that? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a really good question. Right. And I think there's a, I mean, there's going to be a lot of stuff you can find online around this, but I think some of the key things that, that we see early on in startups is like, make sure that your products need it, right? Like, I think this is already like something that a lot of startups skip. And they're like, I think this is needed. We'll like validate that, right? We generally recommend that our startups talk to at least 30 potential customers, right? Whether that's going to be like a B2C company or B2B, like go talk to potential users, go learn from them, figure out if they would use it, try to build the product with them if you can. Like if it's a B2B, like get their insights, figure out what their pain points are. It's also the best way to start selling your product if you're a B2B company, right? Like- mm reach out to all the key people that would buy your product and tell, like talk to them and be like, tell me about your pain points and let them complain about them. And then be like, well, I've got the perfect solution because I've already been developing it with X, Y, and Z. And it's going to do all of those things that you complained about. Right. And so it's a very effective way to sell as an early company as well. Um, because a lot of people do like complaining about the issues that they're having. Right. If they have like some system that like never does what they want it to do and it's not like intuitive or, you know, X, Y, Z pain point, like if you're then solving those, it makes it very easy. So make sure you're talking to potential customers, ideally at least 30 and like build off of that. I think that's like a very simple one that's already going to cut out startups focusing on things that aren't needed, that people aren't willing to pay for, et cetera. Then like, I think it's just having like strong persistence, strong vision, you know, having good mentors around you, ideally. We're very big fans of like investor advisor updates or like friends of the company and like keeping people up to date that you care about, but also asking for help in those. We're, we're big believers in transparency. We don't think that like ideas can easily be stolen. And if they can be, then, then you're probably not the right person to build that, right? Like ideas are easy to come by, execution's hard. So, you know, if you, if you can share like, what you're doing, what you're building on a monthly basis, what your goals are, what you need help with. And you're sharing that out with, you know, mentors, friends of the company, uh, you know, different investors you've talked to that have even like passed on the deal, like current investors, like they'll all be there to help you. And like, they'll see this. And even if they don't respond for a while and then you're tracking your, you know, your standard opens and clicks as, as you should as a startup, you're going to see like XYZ is always checking it. And the next time you're going to go raise, they're going to be like, these guys are great. Or these gals are great, right? Like they're sharing updates every month. They're telling me what challenges they're having. They're showing me every month. They're solving these challenges. They're asking for help. They're extremely communicative. Like these are the types of people we want to back. So like it ends up giving you a really big advantage. It helps you compress fundraising rounds and make them easier in the future. Mm -hmm. um, 
And, and so like, these are the types of things that like startups, you know, should, should be doing, um, you know, making sure that you are very strong on the tech side in this industry is important. Like a very strong CTO or tech side, uh, is quite important given this industry is a bit more like say tech heavy mm-hmm. in some ways. Um, so that's a, a key thing and making, and that's something that we look at as well. I mean, those are a few different pieces. I mean, there's going to be a lot more reasons why startups fail, but I won't, I won't go into all of them. Right. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, we're just scratching the surface here. That goes deep and wide, um, but really, really great points. Um, one of which you brought up is, you know, interviewing your customers, you know, from a user experience uh, person myself, that is everything. Um, and people think, oh, you know, we're putting out this product and we're going to, uh, you know, query 30, 40, 50 people uh, within our demographic um, and get feedback and then start, right? Well, you might find that your product is actually different, may have to become different a little bit there. Um, and it's important for, for people to realize that just because you go through the due diligence during your um you know, your initial days or your initial uh, seed or, 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 you know, funding days, it doesn't mean it stops. It becomes this whole um, dialogue becomes part of your product process. So in the beginning, the middle and the end, or not the end, continuing, you always have to kind of ping out and, you know, get feedback from your users who are actually maybe on your test nets or just interested in your product. Um, and you know, one of the other challenges that people maybe in the, the normie world might not see with companies, new companies, entrepreneurs, founders, products that they have to really, because of the whole, the idea of democratization, they have to, through DAOs or, uh, uh, discord channels or wherever they're managing their communications with the constituents they always have to give feedback on a regular basis. And that's really important. So the founders, like the physical, there are founders that, that are smart and have done really interesting things in the past. The board is real. I mean, there's tons of, la- just look at, what was it, 2016-ish, 17, with the uh, ICO explosions. Everyone got rug pulled. You know, everyone got dumped on. Uh, and it was it, it might as well have been bots putting this stuff out. Um, it wasn't real. So the idea of real people um, communicating to other real people within their network uh, is important, too. So really good um, sage advice there, Ali. Thank you. Um, now, this is slightly loaded, <laughs> a loaded question and could you know, go on for hours if we ch- so choose, um, you know, with with Web3 in its infancy right now, I, and I, I consider it to be just a spec right now, right? We're just getting kicked off. We're seeing amazing progress with new protocols and tools and services being built every single day. Can you maybe give us your thoughts on what you think the future of Web3 might look like, uh, it, it, you know, in the next year or two, couple of years, I know it's, you know, it's difficult, but what do you, where, where's your head out with that? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, I, I wish I could fully predict the future, but <laughs> kind of what we try to do, right. In, in some yeah. ways, right. So, um, and this sort of, you know, relates back to some of those, 
you know, sub thesis that we have internally and how we sort of look at the industry evolving. And there's all these different pathways it can go, right? And we're trying to figure out, hey, where do we think it could go? And, and what do we think sort of makes sense as an emerging player solving some of the bottlenecks? So the way that I look at that is going back to today, like what are some of these bottlenecks, right? And there's bottlenecks across the board, right? So take like even something that might not be that sexy, like how do you develop more effectively in this space? Like one of the challenges, if you go talk to pretty much any developer in this space, they're going to tell you they need to consistently integrate like dozens, if not hundreds of different APIs for data sources. Mm. I mean, if you have, if you have even like say integrations for data to like exchanges, let's call it, which is a pretty standard one. A lot of, a lot of different companies in the space are using like say the exchange APIs and you have 12 different exchanges integrated and every exchange updates their API like once a year. That means every month you're now spending a t time for a developer to like update these APIs. So it's like all these costs that you have just going into like updating APIs all the time. And, and it's just like very distracting. Then you have to worry about like uptime and redundancies and like all these different things on data and like dev tooling. And so like, to be honest, so when we look at this, we're like, Hey, like we need to solve some of these challenges so the industry can take off so that teams are able to focus on building like real valuable stuff instead of, you know, just trying to like build and solve some of these challenges around like, you know, basic APIs and connecting stuff across the industry and like building in redundancy. And so we invest in a really cool company called Uniblock that's actually built a unified API, one click of a button for any developer to turn on and off like any major tool in the space. And then they solve all the challenges around redundancy and downtime and like APIs changing and all of these things. And so now it allows any developer to be you know, better, faster, stronger. And we've got thousands and thousands of companies now starting to build on Uniblock. And this is actually quite game changing. And so like you have like problems that you might not think are problems, but this industry can't advance if like developers can't build effectively. And so as soon as we start like streamlining some of the different things on the dev tool side, it allows like an explosion of growth, you know, across the industry. I mean, there's a lot of other things. I mean, we're looking at like, how does this actually go mainstream to the, your average person? And like, it's got to be in ways that they don't realize or think about that they're using these products, right? So take, we invested in a company called uh, Breshna uh, or Grid. And so what's really cool is they built a no-code gaming platform. And the goal is to connect anyone in the world to be able to build their own game in under five minutes. And these are hyper-casual games and you can use them for, for fun. You can use them for <laughs> education and all sorts of other things but you don't know that this is all on blockchain, right? And so they're putting mm -hmm. all these layers on blockchain. But what's really cool is now uh, Grid, Miriam, superstar female founder out of DC, has now built the world's first text, uh, like text to game engine. So now you can basically build a game with just typing what you want, right? Or even saying what you want, and it'll build you the game in like a minute. And right now there's all these different game templates, like, you know, Flappy Bird, Super Mario, Space Invaders, all these different mm -hmm. types of education templates, et cetera. And what we're actually seeing is like, you know, people all around the world are starting to make games. We were setting goals with Breshna last year on like, imagine if we could create 3000 games in 2023. I mean, fast forward, there's hundreds of thousands of games created this year. There's millions of players a month. Like it's just blown up over this year and it's, it's only just the beginning there. Right. And so now imagine, you know, anyone that's creating these templates for new games, think about like a Canva for video games, right? Like anyone that's creating templates will get you know, incentivize. Anyone that's creating the games will get incentivized. Anyone that creates assets that get used in the games will get royalties. Anyone that like shares or promotes the games will, you know, get essentially like affiliate fees, which are like standard across, you know, all sorts of industries on the web um, and otherwise. And so, 
now you've created this way where like anyone in the world can sort of level the playing field on hyper casual and hyper casual is 65% of like the entire gaming market, right? When you think about mm. it from like a revenue perspective. So like massive, massive potential here to like create something mainstream, but you don't even know that it's, you know, needed. And, and there's more examples of like just real world stuff that people don't realize. I mean, I'll, I'll take one that even like I was surprised, like quite surprised about, right? And I, I learn stuff every day about different industries. Um, take, you know, the problem in the, in the pet industry. So if you have a pet, any pet owners that are listening, you're probably more aware of this problem than I have. Uh, cause I've learned a lot about this, uh, not being a pet owner. Um, but anyone that has a pet, you know, you need to keep like vaccination certificates of your pet. And every time you go to a vet, a dog or pet cat, a cat or pet groomer, or like, um, you know, any dog or pet daycare, et cetera, like you need to have and produce these, you know, certificates that are in person, right? Like in, in paper, sometimes they're digital, but if they're digital, they're usually on these centralized like systems that are not like fully accessible everywhere. And they have like different partner networks that you can use that. And anyways, it's like quite complex. And so now imagine creating like, oh, essentially like a pet ID through Petastic. You can do that now. We've put over half a million pets on chain in the last few months. And it's solving like a real problem that people have, but you don't need to know it's on blockchain and it's going to change everything. And we believe that the entire industry globally needs to move on to a solution like this. And so there's this huge opportunity and, and you wouldn't even know that it's all on this technology, right? And it's because blockchain is essentially solving these key multi-party trust issues. And so it's fascinating, game-changing technology that you don't need to know about as as, a, as an ordinary person. Of course, there's going to be more uh, Web3, like hyper-native products um, mm. that are going to be different. But you know, I think there's a lot of really, really cool things that are maybe very different from the normal examples you'll typically hear uh, that I'm trying to share. A lot of great points in there, Ali. Um the and it, it's really interesting because you know we all look at ooh the the next video hosting platform or something sexy or shiny right but in reality a lot of the innovation happens between these bigger protocols and some of these what i would call bridge companies or products like um the one you were mentioning um uniblock which i would love to to talk to by the way that's a very interesting, they're solving a, a pretty big bottleneck, a big problem for developers that I hear all the time. Oh, if I have to deal with another API or translating from this to that, it, you know, it also becomes a little bit of glue and duct tape on the back end of things too. But that's super important for people to understand that the innovation is happening, you know, on the surface and below, um, which is really cool. Um, and yeah, I mean, there is so much happening right now that is, is, is hyper exciting. You just have to scratch and look, look for what people, to your point, what are we solving today? Um, and that, that's kind of the core of everything, right? So, um, now as we wrap up a little bit, Ali, what I, cause it's the, the, there's so many entrepreneurs out there kind of digging in and grokking as much information from podcasts and articles and, you know, you know, databases of information. If there was one piece of information that you would give entrepreneurs right now, what would that be? Just one. 
I, I mean, I, I have I, a loaded. <laughs> it's a loaded question. I think. I think I'll try to get something like specific to like the time right now, right? Yeah. I mean, a lot of founders are telling us and we're hearing it's the hardest time to raise. No VCs are investing. Like, there's been a pretty big pullback on on this front. And I would say like two things. Like one, focus on like building your product if you're passionate about it. Like, stay lean, of course, if you can, because like th you're right, the market is tough. But two, like, I don't think that should let you down on on there are no investors, because I actually think that the market right now, in some ways, is easier to raise than ever. And I'll explain why. But all investors are looking for, you know, incredible companies that are building in this space. And there's so many investors that have a ton of dry powder because they didn't deploy a lot over the last year. Mm -hmm. And they need to basically be deploying. And so you're actually seeing more time spent with great companies right now by investors that they're interested in, like, so there is actually quite a lot of activity. I think it's actually in some ways even easier right now to get meetings with VCs than, than before, because basically a lot of VCs have a lot more time right now. And so they're actually meeting and, and while they're being selective, they are meeting with more companies. So this is actually very helpful to, to get in the door. Um, but, you know, I think just, you know, stay persistent, believe in what you're doing, drive and, and go get customers, which at the end of the day is the holy grail, right? Like build revenues, get customers. And then, you know, definitely don't drop off on like the fundraising side. Like sure, the markets change. It's not as frothy or anything as it was a year ago or a year and a half ago, two years ago. But at the end of the day, like there are strong investors that'll go back what you're doing and, you know, will help you sort of continue to get to that next stage. And, you know, and then you can sort of keep going from there. Right. Yeah. Um, great advice, uh, Ali. And thank you so much for that. Um, and yeah, it is really important to remember that some people have backed out of the game, if you will. Um, and you have to keep pushing forward no matter what the industry says. So, oh, it's dried up or whatnot. Yeah, it's a little lean, but I 100% agree. You not only have to um, keep pushing forward, you have to reopen the doors you tried to open before and keep going that way. And beyond that, you get your, your first rounds, maybe first or second round, if you're lucky, whatever it may be, you have to keep fundraising, right? And it's important for people to understand that for a founder, it's not like, ooh, let's brainstorm on new features and functionality all day it's they're on investor calls 24 7 uh and you and i know that for sure um but it I mean, is we, possible and it persistence right we, 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 we do like i mean we do like founders that are focused on product and customers and then on the investor front like one of our objectives even when we invest in a company is how do we actually compress this investor cycle and like this fundraise because like what we don't want like being a founder myself previously what we don't want is founders actually raising 24 seven all, all year round because like it is a distraction, right? So as much as we can try to compress that into like an eight week period or something like this helps our founders a lot. And it helps like us as a, as a company or like our companies to basically achieve the goals that they're setting out so that there is going to be a next round and a next round and like they can continue to scale and grow. Mm, awesome. Um, and again, I'll, I'll just say it again. I really like your like very strategic approach, um, and it's not handholding. It's 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 engaging. Like you're engaged, um, and that's and that's fresh, and it's 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 definitely new for some people, um, and but and very important to this industry because this industry is different 
than others, right? So, yes, very good advice. Thank you so much. Now, Ali, do you guys, are you going to be at a conference soon? Or are you hosting anything, uh, any live events virtually or uh, IRL that you want to push out there? I, I mean, across our team, we're always speaking and at different conferences. I mean, our team is spread out uh, across Southeast Asia. We're always at events, you know, across North America, across the Middle East, Europe, and, and, and Asia. And so you can find us, uh, just follow any of our team members across social media, follow our company on social media, and you'll get an idea of where we are. Uh, but definitely, if you are building a startup in the space, reach out to us. doesn't matter if you feel like you're too early or there's no other investors in. We oftentimes go into companies that, you know, maybe in, 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 uh, in situations where they haven't raised from other investors yet or anything like that. Um, so definitely reach out. Uh, you can, you can reach out to me on any of, any of my social medias or even just on our company website, you can share info with us. We do look at every single company that shares info with us. Um, so excited to, to hear from you. Awesome. And again, thank you so much for great advice, by the way. Um, and just sharing a little bit about yourself and your company and the, 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 the fun. So, um, thank you for joining us. My pleasure.